0: Hi, everyone. It's Libby Kelly. I'm so excited to bring you this next podcast. I have interviewed Dr. Chris Copeland, as well as each of the nine Enneagram types about their response to stress in general, as well as, you know, specifically about their response to stress in 2020. And I've done this because, you know, I'm surrounded as we all are by folks that have hit this proverbial pandemic wall there's pandemic fatigue. I'm even reading about pandemic anger. Um, you know, we're, we're just burned out. There's a great article that I'm going to put a link to about the deterioration of our surge capacity um, and how our adrenaline stores are over. We have nothing nothing left to give. You know, as I edited this podcast with uh, the, with Chris that, that is full of pearls of wisdom, I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, I think about... The words of Dr. Steve Scoggin, who, he's the interim chair of the Department of Psychiatry now at Wake Forest. And he has consistently said in various messages that this is not the time for us to be strong. This is the time instead for us to be honest with ourselves. And I like that a lot. I, I keep going back to that, that maybe this isn't the time to just be strong anymore. Just instead to think about... What it is that you need right now what it is that what is it that makes you happy what fills your resilience bank account i keep reading about that as well and maybe it's different than before covid because a lot of those things have been taken away from us but i just encourage you to think about that in terms of being honest with yourself and what is it that you need as you move forward because that's really helped me a lot as a quick intro about dr copeland he is the founder and director of the Enneagram Studies Project at Wake Forest University. He studied the Enneagram for more than 25 years. He is a certified teacher and member of the core faculty for the Narrative Enneagram, which is the oldest Enneagram training organization in the world. He has he launched a company called Illuminating Paths in 2009, and he offers spiritual direction as well as Enneagram consultation and education for couples and individuals and businesses. And he has a wonderful podcast called The Heart of the Enneagram. And it also has a a companion book. And it is excellent. It is excellent. If you know a lot about the Enneagram, it's also wonderful. If you're trying to figure out which type you are, I'm going to offer links to these things in my podcast notes. So uh, thank you to Dr. Copeland for joining me. And also a huge thank you to each of these Enneagram types and the vulnerability that they show here um, to discuss with us the, the stress response that they have and the stress that has been ongoing in these challenging times. So here we go. Okay, well, welcome, Chris. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being here with me.
1: Thanks, Libby. It's a treat to be with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: So I have been really fascinated and consumed by the psychological impact of 2020. And I heard it it described recently that we have this trifecta of things happening. We have COVID, we have racial tensions and injustice, and then we have what will likely be the most heated election of our lives, all happening all at the same time. And if you are human, you are affected by One, two, or three of these things right now. And I think what we all did fairly well in March and April, from what I've read, I am not a therapist, but from what I've read and from the people I'm surrounded by, most people did pretty well as humans do in crisis, rose to the occasion, found ways to find that adrenaline surge and um, made the best of it. People cooked, they baked, they bought puppies we are now 6 months in and i find that folks are not doing nearly as well as they were in march and april and and so what this what we're going to focus on today is essentially the stress response of each of the enneagram types and want to hear your thoughts on um each person i have interviewed each of the types, excluding I'm a two, I'm going to be our two example. And so this is really going to be kind of an Enneagram 201 or 301. If listeners are interested in learning more about the Enneagram, they're welcome to keep listening, but they'll it'll be really helpful to read more. Chris has his own incredible podcast he, that you can listen to. He also has his own book. I'm going to put links to these things and other Enneagram learning in my notes. So, I'm going to just go ahead and start off with myself as the as our Enneagram Two type example, and explain kind of what I'm doing about two minutes each uh, for each type, and what what I do in stress in general. Um, I have an inability to prioritize what needs to be done now versus later. I everything becomes this sort of quadrant one emergency. I, I then start beating up on myself and get unreasonably critical. It goes beyond sort of a helpful self-analysis, and I become highly self-critical. I, I, ch- I change from being a positive, really positive person to, to finding ne- the negatives, se- especially in myself, and then I kind of get mentally exhausted, worn out. Um, I pile on guilt and actively find things to feel guilty about. <laughs> really fun stuff. <laughs> so that's, you know, I, 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 was, I went through a March and April extreme of emotion. I was either dancing or crying. And that that's kind of gone away after a couple of months. And now I'm sort of in this sort of burned out phase. So would love to hear your thoughts on, on, on me and other Enneagram 2s, recognizing we're all different
1: yeah yeah thanks, Libby. um you know, just a couple of if I can, just a couple of general comments um, as I think about the this dynamic system um and one of them is that you know in stress, each type is gonna often go to people call it different things the lower side, the less healthy part, the sort of um well, and I might even say sort of square in the type, right right in the sort of uh, um, constriction of the type during stress. Um, you know, it's beyond our conversation today and it's also good to note that our types are also connected across lines to other types and sometimes stress shows up in, in our connecting lines as well. So just to kind of acknowledge that, um, But um, so one of the things I sort of struck me, and it's funny, because Libby, I'd love to actually be really fun, is to ask questions of each of your, of each of the people, because I like have questions now.
2: (laughs) I love
0: that. You're welcome to ask them of me.
1: (laughs) Um, So, you know, the one that sort of struck me is um, the guilt, like finding things to be feel guilty about. And I'm, I'm curious if you're willing to share kind of a little bit more about that.
0: Absolutely, I, I'm an, I'm truly an open book. So the things I feel guilty about are are little things like I, I should be spending one-on-one time with each child, and I should be doing that every day. And I have five kids. I mean, that's just almost impossible. I should be cooking more. I, I should be reading to my children individually more. I should be. I I should have figured out what is it that I want to do with my career and my life. I'm in a bit of a quandary right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I just big things, little things, I can find ways to, to give myself a hard time about those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously you hear the word in there should like, I should do this. I should do that. Right. And, um, one of the things that strikes me for type two is, you know, the, the sort of the standard um, operating procedure, if you will, uh, for type two is um, focusing on the needs of others. So like, what are, what are the needs of others around me and how can I meet those needs? Again, kind of underneath that is this idea of like, that's really the only way I'm going to get my own needs met if I start first by meeting the needs of others. So just even in naming, like Can I, I want to sit, I should be sitting one-on-one with my kids. I should be reading. Um, There is the, that what we call other referencing that twos do, right? This orientation outward. And that just probably, and I think under stress intensifies, right? It's like attention continues to go outward. So like my question would be, and you don't have to answer this necessarily, but part of the work of the two would be like, what, especially in this difficult time, how can I shift attention to What do I need? For example, like what is, how can I focus a little bit on me? And that's, that's hard for two to do in a regular time, (laughs) much less in the midst of stress. But I think the stress causes a reactivity, which is just intensifies that outward focus. So that's part of what I hear.
0: I feel that I have been pushed to a place where I am. I'm usually never here where I realize I have to look inward and I have to say, what is it that i need mm-hmm. rather than looking at the other six people in my family and wondering what they need or even things like friends who I feel they need my time and they, they need, and that's, I think there's a narcissism to the two in that, that I've read about that, like, we feel like we're the savior, you know, and I'm like, God, how embarrassing, like, right. sure. <laughs> but like, we feel that we, they need my, somebody needs me. And I, I realize I don't, I don't have that to give right now. And I, I'm at, I'm, I'm finally at a point where I think, okay, I, I need to look inward. So, yep. and, yep. and ask myself, what do I need? So that's interesting to hear you to hear you say that.
1: It's beautifully said. And I love the question, like, and we may play with this with each of the types, but like, who are you Libby if you can't give? Right? I mean, this is a time where you're, it's like, my resources are low. This is true for all of us. Right? And it's like, but who am I? What is my identity if I can't actually give? Wow. That's, that's the inner work.
0: Gosh, it is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to move on to type three and we're, what we're doing here for those that i um, most of you do, we're starting with the heart center, the, I would say the feelers. Am I saying that wrong? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> the, right. heart, the heart yeah. centers. Okay. Um, so that's why we started with number two. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to our number three example.
3: I get so task oriented and accomplishing and doing that my family would say when I'm stressed, I'm just shorter, shorter on patience, shorter on fun, you know, shorter on the time I allow for any task. You know, I want us to get ready for bed right away or hurry up and sit down and have our meal instead of building in that sweet natural time that's normally what I enjoy the most.
0: I cut that out. What's happening inside your your sort of head, body, heart? I would say I get wound tightly, more tightly than
3: usual and kind of like a spinning top. And I feel like I need to accomplish or do, you know, catch up on chores, catch up on whatever activity needs to get done, ADLs. How do you show up in your your marriage? I would get shorter on time for the things we typically enjoy. I feel like I can somehow catch up when I'm overly stressed. And so I can cut out the things I love, whether it's doing acts of kindness for other people or exercise or meditation or any of the things that I feel like kind of make me who I am and what I enjoy most in life, I feel like I can get right to the punchline to get back on track. A lot of people are talking about doing things. They miss going places and doing things. And I'm such an introvert in some ways that I didn't really miss that, but I do miss the feedback that would give me, whether it was the attention or the recognition or just the connection. I miss having that relationship with people. I think I cut out that connection of Brynn.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it's, that's wonderful, I so appreciate, um, her reflections. Uh, one of the things that strikes me, you'll notice like the multiple times she said things like accomplish do right. I mean, that's the sort of, again, the default of the three anyway, is like, I got to get stuff done. And, and, uh, But like one of the things right at the end, which I love is she said um, being by herself or being as an introvert is fine and kind of in this time, but what she misses is the feedback and the recognition. And that again, it's like, that's sort of the question of the three. It's like, who am I if no one sees me, right? If no one sees what I do, what if I accomplish? And so it's interesting to think about a three kind of quarantined at home, and yes. and not getting the sort of feedback, the positive reinforcement, the good job, the recognition. And that's it, what's so interesting about that is that just can add to the stress, right? Because we, we have the stress of you name these three pillars, mm-hmm. and I would even add to that like uh climate change and how that's yes. impacting parts of the United States at least. But uh, but you know, we have all of that, and then imagine that now the thing that, that as a three triggers me the most, which is I need, I so need people to recognize what I'm doing. And then I don't get it in the same way because I'm at home. Like that, that adds a whole nother level of stress, right?
0: Yes. And, And as you, if, when you said about the two that you lean into your, not your worst traits, but you lean into yourself, like she was saying, she was, like everything was doing, like I'm, I'm going to do, I was able to do more chores. I could do more things. I'm, if I'm stressed, I'm, I'm accomplishing more in my own house. And you know, the, the, the quarantine was about doing, doing, doing. It's really fascinating that. Yeah. It just kind of almost like gets boiled down to this concentrated mixture.
1: Yeah. It's a great word. It's like the, the place of reactivity. I mean, if all of us have a place of reactivity that's less out of a mindful place, less out of a grounded place, thoughtful place, and it's no judgment, right? It's just part of how we're wired. Uh, And so under stress, that reactivity just sort of uh, takes over if we're not careful. And good Lord, (laughs) we don't have a lot of energy to not be careful. So, But I would say too, I love what she said about she's noticing she's cutting out the things she loves. And what Uh that tells me is, you know, she is aware of her tendency to do and also the things that really feed her are sitting with her children or being with her family. And she's really missing that because of that default kind of reactive doing. And that's, that's tender. And I appreciate that she knows that about herself.
0: So is that your biggest advice, let's say for the three really for maybe everybody is sort of recognizing what is it that fills you back up? What is it that you love?
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, that is absolutely the case. And um, it's going to look different for every type. And Uh so like for, for three, what I would say is a great practice is slow down. Hmm. Just like I would say for two, a great practice for you every day during the day, particularly if you catch yourself frenetically thinking why am I not doing this and this and this is to go what do I need like that's your that's your, huh. your question for yourself what I need and for this person it would be like uh, how can I slow down right now I notice I'm in this compulsive doing okay can I slow down and just oh. be with be with my beloveds
0: oh I love that love that okay on to our type four
2: I thrive to some degree under stress. I get very productive and I utilize the energy that is created through stress to motivate. Um, During the pandemic, I got so much stuff done. It was a very activating period of time for me. So and I I think that is really much really how I deal with fear in general. It um, I take action, I I don't think I run from, but I run with and use the energy of fear in my attempt to control or micromanage my stress, I become impatient, um, intolerant, I'm not laid back um, at all. (laughs) And I can be very judgmental in that, you know, sort of, We've got to get this done. We've got to take care of this. I'm not as empathetic or um, relaxed in that, in that state. For my boyfriend, for instance, uh, I, I organized his house. I, you know, I got very, kind of got into his business as well. I had a hard time just letting him process the stress the way he needed to, which was to watch a lot of Netflix and just chill out.
1: Yeah, what's so interesting, Libby, here is you hear, again, this emphasis on doing, right? Uh-huh. The sort of, this sort of like, I get what I've gotten what needs to be done. I've been very productive. And what's intriguing about this is we've heard this in the two, three, and the four in various ways.
2: Uh-huh. And this,
1: this is, you know, it's so interesting, because there are the hard types, right? And where there are these feeling emotional people, etc. And It's also true that these are big doing people as well, and particularly under stress, the attention can go toward doing, toward accomplishing. Um, What I find fascinating, too, about um, the four is uh, she names that she utilizes her energy to motivate herself, and so part of what can happen for some fours is in stress, they get overwhelmed. So there there can be the sort of counter response to what she described, which is like, melancholy, depression, I'm in a hole, I'm just so stressed and overwhelmed. And so not not having any any energy. But what's interesting is sometimes in the way she describes it well, stress can actually be something that motivates us. Cause I think what she said is I utilize that energy, right? So I, uh-huh. I utilize it to go and do. And 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 actually that can be a really helpful and positive thing, right? The challenge of course is like for all of these three types is Um, what am I not paying attention to when I'm doing? Because the doing can be compulsive, right? And so so the question I might ask her is like, you know, what are you, cause she didn't talk really. I didn't hear any feeling words. Uh, although she said what she did say was I'm not as empathetic right now. And that would, that would also point to the stress of the four is like, you know, fours are so naturally empathetic and tuned into yes. feel, tuned into feelings and all that kind of stuff, but not being that because I'm so focused on the accomplishment. What's the, what's the thing to be productive. And so, um, again, the sort of question of like, what are we, um, what is the doing keeping us from tending to?
0: Yes. Yes, and I it's interesting that you make that comment because she I know her extremely well and she is so empathetic and mm-hmm. so kind and and her words were more that it was doing it mm-hmm. wasn't empathy it wasn't even kindness necessarily towards her boyfriend and I'm and she loves me enough she won't care if me sitting here talking about her <laughs> like this <laughs> but it was really more about I'm gonna I'm gonna fix your house because this is gonna make me this is what I want to do right now I'm gonna clean I'm gonna organize your house for you or whatever yeah. oh God well um, it's
1: also Libby like it's a, also can be a distraction I mean the sort of I'm gonna do this I'm gonna fix your my boyfriend's house because it's a distraction from from my own potentially and I don't know her but potentially yeah. my own overwhelm right and I don't want to uh-huh. be present to my own overwhelm so I'm just going to go do this I'm
0: going to do yep. the she also described the the running with fear and that that's something that I don't I don't recognize in myself what the running with fear not from fear but with it I guess it was that was more of an energy I know you're a four do you mm-hmm hear feel anything in that
1: that you know what's interesting is that's not language that I use and so it's I'm I was so curious about that like like part of what I hear in that is fear as a um, motivator perhaps and also fear Uh as a companion like now and that is a very four thing because fours we four sort of want to companion all the, all the feelings, right? The fear, the sadness, we're not really afraid of any of that stuff. So we're willing to go with it. And that's part of the gift of how the four up. So interesting to think about running with the fear is like companioning it um, and being with it. That's intriguing.
0: Really interesting. Okay. Here we go with our five.
4: In stressful situations. I, my first reaction is to withdraw. It's usually withdraw and, and like disconnect. So I can seem very calm and centered on the outside, even if things are crazy on the inside. I can like co- uh, compartmentalize emotions. So things can be really crazy, but there's this place I can access that doesn't touch it at all. During the, the COVID thing has been honestly not that stressful for me because in general, I feel like uh, I can deal with living with very little. So like, uh, you know, losing, uh, losing income sources and stuff like that doesn't bother me. Cause I can just deal with less and less and less and it's fine. Huh. And being alone does not bother me one bit. Um, you know, I can talk to one person once a week and that's enough contact for me usually. Um, although I enjoy more, but that's enough. Um,
0: Do you have access to those feelings? And like, do you know you're stressed? Does it or is it something that you look, you notice later, or you actually have the ability to to access that?
4: So when those when all that crazy stuff is happening, a lot of times in the moment, I don't have words for it. And I can't really process it, I have to remove myself from the situation, and take time to sit with it and let it come out and then I can talk about it and process it. So I think a lot of times other people see me as uh, withdrawn and avoidant, which I am. But a lot of times that's because I just literally don't have the language in the moment. I know I'm feeling something and I, I generally know what it is, but I can't really communicate what it is. I need space. Sometimes that's 20 minutes or that could be two weeks. And I'll just disappear and not talk and not engage for that period of time. And then I can come back to the table and have all of it worked out and know exactly what it is. But it takes that time to be able to do that. Yeah, he describes the type five so beautifully. It's like, so <laughs> he articulate. really does.
0: I mean, he really does. I'm like, God, did you just read a book? Just, just paint a
1: picture. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What's really fascinating, Libby, is that um, I have heard in some teaching I've done over the last uh, months, I've heard five say a very similar thing, which is this pandemic has not been that stressful. <laughs>
0: Wow. I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, it's and, just wild to me. I mean, what?
1: Yeah. And, and, and part of that, yeah. I mean, the type Thank is Thank God like,
0: somebody feels like that though. I mean, we need this. Well, it's
1: true. It's true. And like, there's a, um, you know, this sense of like, A, I can be alone. So that part, if I'm by myself alone in my home, that's fine. Um, B, I don't need a lot, you know, that's sort of the five type is like, I don't need a lot of resources or anything. So if things start paring down, I'm good, I'm fine. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's almost like, (laughs) it's like pandemic was built for the fives of the world, right? You know, (laughs) or vice versa, they were built for this time.
2: right?
0: Right.
1: Um, But, uh, but I, and then he, you know, he does a great job too of, of acknowledging the tendency to withdraw and disconnect. I mean, again, that's, that is already the case for type fives. And, um, I would imagine where they could get into a little trouble during this kind of time is really not connect with people like to forget mm-hmm. to connect with people. Um, mm-hmm. because it's so easy for them to be on their own self-sufficient, um, really kind of inward focused that, uh, that could be a danger because there is, as we all know, there's a gift in connecting with others. And there's an energetic exchange when we connect with others. So they have to be really mindful. So I wouldn't say that like, you know, it's not that um, they're super stressed at this time, but I think the k- pandemic can accentuate some of the shadowy parts of the type, which could bring about more stress, if that makes any sense.
0: It does. He went on actually to talk about how if he has an argument with somebody, he will withdraw. And then he has to, he waits for them to come find him and get him. And he then kind of pretends like nothing was ever wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm now, this is very subjective, but I question, you know, maybe the, is some of the work to then have to, what if that person doesn't come find you? Yes. You know, is, I mean, is that some of the work? Does the five need to learn to just maybe say, well, actually that was, that was an argument and you did hurt my feelings or I don't know what the, I'm using the feeling word, but you know. I wonder if that does that help a five to learn to do that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, fives, when they can learn to reach out and make connection. So so here's the thing. The fear is, is that if I go and connect with you, you're going to sap my energy. Right. So that's why I'm protecting it by staying by myself. So if I have a conflict, the five has a conflict, they're like, well, let that person come to me because if I go and reach out to them, they're going to want to hear why I'm upset and ask me all these questions. And oh my God, they're going to drain me. Right. And so what a five has to learn is is that when I go out, when I reach out and I go counter-instinctive, which is the the withdrawal, it actually feeds me. It actually replenishes me. And they don't believe that with their minds, but if they're able and willing to do that, they experience that that is actually the case. That they do get energy from doing that.
0: The work of all these types is, is fascinating.
1: It is, it is.
5: Okay, here we go with our six. In general, when I'm faced with a difficult situation, my first instinct is why didn't I foresee this and fix it ahead of time? Because I'm constantly trying to identify threats that are going to come my way and head them off before they happen. So for example, I'm always the person, you should have seen me packing a diaper bag. I was always the person that had envisioned every possible disaster that might happen and packed it in the diaper bag. So my diaper bag might as well have been a suitcase. And the same thing happened when I went tubing this summer with some other families, of course, an outside activity where we were all six feet apart and one of the adults actually cut himself on something in the river. And I was the one that had the betadine solution in the car with the band aids and the Neosporin and everybody else was looking at me like, really? And because I'm always that person who foresees Challenges or disaster, but then tries to prevent them or set myself up so I don't fall victim to them. So, 2020 is a problem because it, just, it has just not helped my fearful self because things keep happening that I can't control. And I've, and I've had to really come to terms with how I process and meditate more and think through what I can and can't control and what I can and can't prepare for.
0: What version of yourself does your family see? when you're under stress?
5: I think my, um, unfortunately, I think they do see the anxiety. I mean, I think they see mom on high power mode. I'm trying to motor around the house and get everybody in the right place at the right time and, and orchestrate and control what's happening. So does everybody have what they need? Do we have what we need? Who's where? And I think, I think they get, I get a little barky. (laughs) <laughs> they say I get a little controlling and I get a little uh, anxiety ridden. Um, and so they definitely see a side of me that is not my best self, maybe. Um, but then I think if I if I practice, I can bring it down to trying to explain where I am. Yeah,
1: um, my, you know, I laughed out loud, Libby, when when <laughs> she said, oh,
0: why couldn't I have foreseen uh, this, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it kills me. <laughs> it's
1: it's so like, it's the classic six, right? It's like, I, I as, as long as I can think ahead to worst case scenario, then I can be prepared. And the language she used really very powerful is she said, I don't want to fall victim. That was sort of her language of like, I don't want to be caught um, unawares or off guard because of what she didn't say but the next part of that sentence is because then i won't be safe right then i won't have security and so there's this tendency to make a lot of plans being prepared as she described you know the bandages and the betadine and all those things like that preparation lessens my anxiety because then i have a i create what i think is safety and security now you and i would say in a way that's a false security. And I'm not, that's again, that's not a judgment, but it's a, it's a constructed security. Right. And part of the, the work is, is going deeper in terms of understanding security. But, but I, I, um, she, she articulates that really well, kind of being able, needing to envision every possible thing that might go wrong. Um, And then she named anxiety, you know, and I think, I mean, I've never met a six who didn't struggle with anxiety. And I would imagine, uh, you know, during this stressful time, that's just gonna get ramped up. And probably as she, you know, I'm gonna make more plans. Her language is I'm gonna I motor around the house, right? I'm gonna make more plans. I'm gonna think about all the worst things that can happen so that I can, and what happens then is control. It can start to feel controlling, right? And her family feels that, she feels that. Um, So, I mean, that's definitely uh, expression of stress. The other thing I would say Libby is, she didn't name this, but, um, but I find so interesting around sixes in this kind of time too, is that because in a way when crisis happens, they show up like calm, cool, and collected and able to, to do what needs to be done in the midst of it. And I find that fascinating as a reminder to sixes that they already have within themselves, the resources to do what needs to be done, that the planning actually gets in the way of that. And that's sort of a self-trust, which is ultimately the work.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Well, she went on to talk about a health crisis that, that one of her children experienced and how She actually operated incredibly well in that crisis. And not that her husband didn't, but she really remained very unemotional and very just kind of present and did what needed to get done and really surprised herself later. And. Uh. And uh, really interesting to think that they need to look at those times and say, actually, in crisis, I do well. You know, I had another six describe um, a a crisis in her life, and she is very Enneagram knowledgeable as well. And she was surprised at how unemotional she was in the midst of a crisis. Is that something, a common theme you hear?
1: Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, now we've moved with the five and now the six, and we're going to say we moved into the head types. So these are folks who are going to spend the majority of their time by default, again, in the head. And so part of what happens is like the same part of her mind, the sixes mind that sort of like worst case scenario, spinning, scanning the environment for what could possibly go wrong. That same, which that can be helpful and challenging, right? But that same mind can show up hyper rational unemotional in the midst of a crisis and say, all right, folks, here's what needs to be done. Step, 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 step. And I mean, that's the part, that's the amazing gift of it, right? And in that case, I'm honestly, I want somebody unemotional, (laughs) like, of course, right? I want somebody who can just show up and say, here's what needs to be done. Let's do it. Because that creates a sense of actually security, right? People can relax. So in that case, the six is the one who brings the security by their Uh very presence, which again, they don't see themselves in that way, but it's actually part of their gift.
2: Would you
0: explain the counterphobic six versus the six?
1: Yeah, yeah, we there's, you know, we call the phobic six and the counterphobic six. And the way that I think about that is every six has access to both, both the phobic response, which is a fear response. So the fear response is, I'm going to be dutiful. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to um, do what's expected of me and obey authority as a way to avoid uh, things going badly. So it's basically like I'm deferring my authority to some something else. It could be a boss, it could be a spouse, it could be a religious tradition, whatever. And if I do that, then I can kind of relax because I'm giving my authority to that person, and then I'll be secure. The counterphobic response is a little bit <laughs> the opposite, which is to say, like I don't trust authority. And so I'm actually going to push against it and challenge it. And when I do that, that actually makes me feel, have a sense mm. of security. So there's a, cause there's a little bit of, again, there's some control in that, but it's like, if I push against, if I'm skeptical, if I ask a lot of questions, uh, then like I have a, again, I give myself a sense of security and my anxiety can go down.
0: So are some folks kind of, they have equal access to both types and others are, Pure phobic or pure counterphobic? Is there kind of gradations? Would you say?
1: It's a great question. I think what most people say is that most sixes present most of the time as phobic. Okay. And there's a minority of sixes that present most of the time as counterphobic. Okay. And. Sixes across the spectrum tell me, even if they are mostly counterphobic, they'll they'll notice. In fact, there's a, a friend of mine in town, and she said as she's gotten older, she's become more phobic. Huh. And I have another friend who presents mostly as phobic, but then will tell scenarios where the counterphobic she can kind of access it as a way to kind of move forward. And and so so that's kind of how I would think about it.
0: Interesting. Okay. Thank you for that explanation.
6: Yeah.
0: All right. We're going to move on to our type seven.
6: I am someone who I don't like stress. I don't like to feel that overwhelmed. I don't like feeling out of control. I like things to be smooth and happy and fun. So my typical go-to when I'm stressed is to squash it and make it go away. And my way to do that is always to try to go somewhere. So I have to have something to look forward to. And that's how I handle like my day-to-day stress. I've always got a trip. I've always got a wedding. I've got an event of some sort, a concert. I have countdowns on my phone for when those things are going to occur. Google Flights is a saved page on my browser all the time. But then in 2020, my outlets were taken from me. We've all lost so much in so many different ways, but Every canceled trip, every postponed concert, every birthday in quarantine, it took away what would bring me some comfort. I wouldn't even say like joy, but just like comfort during a stressful time. Cause I think that like I'm such a, I can get through anything stressful as long as I keep it light and keep it happy and keep it bright. And so it doesn't really matter what I have going on. I can. I can get through it if I know I'm going to be in Spain in a month, but that is, that is no longer an option. So that's me in stress is just trying to make it go away and try to keep all the negativity away from me. So what has 2020 been like? It has rocked me as a person. And I think that, um, I try not to compare grief, I try not to compare loss, but there's something about losing that time that would make me feel like me is just gone. And I think that if I was someone who just like enjoyed like being home and doing nice things and (laughs) reading books and small gatherings, I would be fine. But like, no, like I live my life on a big scale and I, I feel so normal during this time, but I'm not, I'm not the Kindle that's like running off to this country or running off to this thing or going to this cool concert. So I don't even feel like myself during this time. And I, I've had to really sit with uncomfortable feelings and I don't like that because what else are we going to do? Early stress, when it's manageable, I see it as a challenge and I'm more the ray of sunshine and the positive person that's going to be like, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to do Zoom happy hour. We're going to be de- figuring it out. But then when I realized how like much things are going to sit, I become, I don't like me. My mom has always said, when you're anxious and when you're stressed, you're mean. And it's true. When I'm uncomfortable, I become rigid. And I am, my expectations of others are through the roof. So if I'm suffering and I'm sacrificing, you better be suffering and sacrificing. And that's not fair. But that rigidity is what I think uh, my family sees a lot of. And I I work through it, but um, I go from like the biggest rule breaker to how dare you break those rules.
1: That's, that's great. Um, You know, it strikes me just the very, her last statement, the sort of rigidity. And again, this is a, a bigger conversation, Libby, but You know, when a seven under stress sometimes will take on characteristics of type one because there's this line from seven to one and one is characterized by that rigidity that she's naming. So I just find that really fascinating. Um, But, I, you know, I I really have a lot of compassion, uh, obviously, for all the types. And as I hear her talk, you know, like always having something to look forward to allows the sort of mundaneness or the difficulty of today to sort of be tolerable because there'll there'll be some trip or whatever, and and to have that taken away, which is the language that she used, right? Um, that I mean, that's hard because then she said um, two things: I don't feel like myself, and then I have to sit with uncomfortable feelings. And this is like their their big, big, big fear. And the reason sevens sort of do this sort of wonderful, grandiose future tripping planning. Is because there's a sense of if I slow down and stay with what's difficult or painful or uncomfortable, the big fear is I'm going to get stuck there and I'm never going to get out. And so having, I mean, having all these externalized um, stimulation right removed, uh, that's that I'm sure that's really scary. I mean, that's scary for seven.
0: It's really okay. So I, I surround myself with sevens. I married one. I have great friends that are sevens. I mean, everywhere I look, I'm like, I'm surrounded by sevens. And I'm always impressed with how well they actually do like go deep in their mm-hmm. conversations.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because if you to hear about them, you think they're gonna be their. Flitting off, like she said, she's on Google has Google flight saved. I mean, I was like, that's the greatest <laughs> line. <laughs> Who has Google flights as a favorite? Like, what? <laughs> but, um, you know, but they actually not only do they do well going deep, they often choose to go there. And so, it, and um, I don't know, maybe it's there's this interest in it, but they don't stay there long.
1: Yeah, that's the key because. Because something deep can actually be exciting and stimulating for them, right? Huh. So it's like, oh, the depth is, the, ooh, ooh, let's go deep, because that's exciting. There's like a stimulation. <laughs> but it's the staying with, the sustained presence with what might be. And it's not necessarily deep, because we we tend to sort of stereotype sevens as shallow, and that's not necessarily the case. But it's more staying with hard feelings. It's staying with hard experiences or things that are boring. That's where the sustaining is just really challenging for them. So they can go deep and they can sort of, but they're only going to often, I won't say only, but they'll often just go there because it's one more kind of stimulating thing to experience. I
0: never thought of it
1: that way. Yeah. I mean, like I have a, um, a colleague that is a, um, who's a seven late with seven and she's a hospice chaplain. And you would think to yourself, who in the world, why would a seven ever be a hospice chaplain? Right. Cause you're sitting with people who are dying and their family all the time. Right. But the thing is, is that actually for her, there's two parts of it that are true. One is that it it's somebody else's pain, not hers. Mm. So that makes it easier. Right. Mm-hmm. She's not, she's not having to sit with her own stuff, but the other is it's like, it, she can go from one, one room or one home to the next. And it's kind of like, it's another family, another dynamic. There's there's just this kind of energy and possibility and, and stimulation that comes. So it, anyway, it, so it's, she can go deep and really be with people, but it's harder for her to do that with herself.
0: I can see that in my own marriage, definitely. <laughs> what is the Is the work of the seven trying to, is it making themselves stay there? Is that, that sounds so harsh, but-
1: I mean, it is. I mean, the question... is when
0: need it. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The question is sort of like, who am I if I don't have options? So this, again, I was asking these questions, like, who are you if you can't meet needs? So for a seven, it's like, who am I if I don't have options? And this is a, creates a panicky feeling for all of us when you ask it for every type, right? So, but the question is like, what if I don't, what if I choose to just stay here in this, whatever this is, and not go to options, not go immediately to... And again... What she doesn't name so much, but is also true, is that sevens can do all that in their mind too. Like they can, they could sit in the same house for six months, but their brain could be going into fantasy or option mode. And that would be another, what I would call way to sort of get stimulation. But so really staying with noticing the tendency to flee, the, the, the sort of reactivity to flee when it gets hard and then saying, you know what? There's something more for me here, and I'm going to stay here. Okay. As, as I've heard 1-7 say, the fullness of life is the high highs and the low lows. And I need to experience all of them if I'm going to get the fullness of life.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. It's not, it, it shouldn't be all only about the highs, only about the, yes.
6: The
1: positivity, um, the, the positivity, yeah. the
0: spontaneity, the right. here's my next, my next quest, my next, because I don't find that they define themselves necessarily by those things. Like they don't, it's not there that their, their self-worth is in it. It's just, I don't know. It's just more of a, that's just what they do. That's well, what they do. It's it, not who they are.
1: That's right. And it's avoidance. I mean, the, the, the pursuit of those things is avoidance of the, the mundane, the boring, the The
0: mundane, the boring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just to say like, because they're head types as well, that's what the fear is. And we never, we don't really see fear in the sevens. We see it in the fives and the sixes more so, but the sevens, the fear is, oh my God, I will get stuck. If I stay here in this, whatever this is boring, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to get stuck and I'll never escape. And that freaks me out.
0: Well, that is what I I that and the their mind is on the hamster wheel mind. Yep, it's something that I never realized about that personality type until I under understood it much better, because you see this spontaneous person that's full of excitement and often the life of the party, and you don't realize they have this crazy mind that just runs and runs and runs itself to death. And yep. they all have that. I yep. mean, like all, and I know it's like in science, I'm never supposed to say that in medicine, <laughs> but that is true. <laughs> the, yes, the <laughs> oh, God. Well oh God. Okay. Here is, um, I guess we're moving into the body types. Here is type eight.
7: In times of stress, I sometimes thrive, I believe. I don't necessarily look at stress as a negative. I don't really think that the bad things happening in the world are going to happen to me or my family. I look at it as really an opportunity, typically, to uh, do something, find something, Help, help someone do something fun so for example in covid we immediately started looking at places we could go uh, I took took my family on some trips um, and yeah so it takes a really 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 long time and we're getting close with covid and and really the the passing of RbG to to start to start to impact me um, is to make me sad so it it takes a lot so i think my my yeah my family typically just sees me moving around quickly pivoting uh, starting to fix furniture uh, um being i'm pretty independent so i'm not necessarily going to sit around and and chat with people about stress or the bad times or whatnot. So I get surprised by emotions. I think I typically don't access emotions very well or very quickly. And so the best way to access them is for them to sneak up on me. And so I think with that death, with her death, that really snuck up on me and then brought out the election season, which I was kind of putting on uh, keeping at bay and it really just made it so I couldn't keep it at bay anymore. And and really unlocks the difficulty of the year.
1: Yeah. um, The word that comes to me listening to um, this wonderful eight is uh, what we call the defense mechanism, each of the types of the defense mechanism. And for the eight, it's denial. And again, I don't use these in any kind of pejorative sense. We all have our own version of this. But, But when she talks about emotion sneaking up on her, uh, you know, like, and, and sort of, I was surprised by, by my emotions. She said, they snuck up on me and she said, you know, I don't really have a lot of stress. So I'm not saying that that um, she's not telling the truth. I think she's telling, often eights will tell the truth that is their truth. And then something will bump up against that. And they're like, oh wait, I am sad. Oh my gosh, there is stress, right? And there, it sort of breaks, it has to break in because this self-perception of, it's almost like, I'm kind of invincible and like, we're going to be, you can hear say like we're going to be fine. This isn't going to touch us. We're, you know, COVID is no big deal. We're going to go travel. We're going to do our thing. And there's a level again of denial of like, we got this. I'm invincible. I'm okay. Everything's cool. And then when a slowdown happens or when something, you know, a death or whatever happens, it can be this end breaking, like, whoa, I had no idea that I was feeling this.
0: When she said, um, you know, the death of RBG, you know, suddenly I got sad. I I tried and I edited, edited stuff out, but I tried to say, well, tell me what, what did you do when you got sad? How did you otherwise feel? And she said, well, I just was sad. Is that something that you see that, that difficulty like sort of further extrapolating, expanding on, on, on an intense emotion like that?
1: Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question, Libby. What, what I would, the way I would partly answer that question is I appreciate that she was able to identify sadness because the default for an eight is anger. So, Mm. so, the first emotion. I guess this is an eight, an eight who hasn't done much inner work. But their their default emotion is anger. I mean, it's it's just that's the reactivity is anger. So for them to be able to then say, "Oh my gosh, I was feeling actually sad about that," or "I was feeling some loss," or "I was feeling lonely," or whatever it is, right? That it takes a while for them to get the nuance from anger to that because everything's anger. And so I would say this is one step on her journey to actually identify that as sadness and to be able to say, I felt sad. That's like, I'm like, good for you. Right. Yeah, I mean, be- wonderful. A, de- a default response might be like, I'm not going to say these words, but might be some choice words about RGB is dead and I'm so angry and I'm going to throw something and this is, and, and screw these people who are, you know, whatever, right. That might be the default response of the eight. So getting to sadness is actually part of, it's a beautiful uh, reflection of some of her growth. healthy
0: sort of differentiated response. Yeah. That was one of the ones um, that I thought I can't identify with at all. You know, and I told her that after I stopped recording, I said, I cannot identify with anything that you, I mean, other than being sad about RBG's death. But otherwise I thought, wow, you know, I mean, it's just another fascinating thing about how different we all are. It is. In terms of RBG, I have to just mention and remind those that weren't there that we had a wonderful night in April of 2016 that we read the Notorious RBG book and talked about her and her life and I was so proud of this group. We There were people there kind of from different sides of the aisle, so to speak, and yet we all really kind of came together and talked about this incredible woman. I remember that night as being one of the best that we had. It was really an intimate maybe like 12 or 15 people and um, anyway, she was incredible. Here's our our type nine.
8: Stress is really difficult for me. I tend to shut down and I want everything to be peaceful and happy and dare I say perfect. And when it's not, and so many things are not right now, it's really hard. And I try and spin it all into the good. And I love reading about like, Covid blessings, like what are the good things that are coming out of this? And I want to focus on that. And there are times in life, and definitely right now, where that's not a thing. Um, some sometimes are just really hard, and to accept that and really to process it is super challenging. And I literally have to extract myself from the moment for whoever I'm around or even the environment I'm in, I have to feel like I have to put myself in a room and meditate or close my eyes and figure out what is it that I feel, which is really challenging for me. What is it that would make this feel better? And I'm so tempted. So I, I feel like I have to put myself in timeout because I'm so tempted to ask someone else. What does my spouse think that I'm feeling? What does he think I should do? What does my mom think? Um, Because it's really easy for me to merge and get soaked up into somebody else's stuff. How does your family see you? How do you show up there? I think surprisingly, I show up as strong and positive and like, It's no big deal, all this stuff that's going around me. And that's not my internal experience. I don't feel like I have it together. I feel at times like everything's falling apart. And that's hard for me to show. Because if I do that, then it means things really are falling apart. And that would really disrupt my peace and harmony.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I love the last comment about... um... You know, it's, it appears that things are no big deal, that it's all all fine. And then she says, it's not my internal experience. And a lot of nines will talk about that. Like, you know, on the outside, they come across as just this easygoing and peaceful and all is you know, they just roll with it. And internally, there can be a storm happening. And so um, uh, and when she said, it would, you know, if I were to say what's really going on, um, then it would disrupt you know, disrupt my peace or disrupt. And so that's just, just really, really well said. Um, you know, I um, appreciate to her language. This is a real, I would, I think this is a great growth for nine is um, a, when awareness that I need to go away and be by myself in order to figure out what is it I feel? What is it that I, what's really important to me? Because there is a default tendency to merge she named this language, right? Merge. And I love her image. She said, um, soak up other people's stuff. It's like, it's just such a great image because that's what nines do. They just, they will soak Mm. up other people's energy or their kind of whatever values they have or whatever. So I appreciate her awareness of that. And she acknowledges that's hard. That's really hard. So I think under stress, you know, a nine is going to sort of, if again, not being mindful, they're just going to go along to get along even more. Kind of like ignore themselves, not be awake to where it really matters to them, and just kind of roll with the things that are happening around them.
0: This was one of the one types I heard where they really, she sounded like she really had this mask on that mm. was very different than most of the other types said that you could tell there was something wrong. Um, And she describes, no, she, she, and I have some nines in my life and they always seem like everything is just fine um, until they maybe have that push to the edge and they have that temper or whatever you read about. And you think, okay, that's just because they've kept this masquerade up for so long. Is that what you see that they just kind of crack?
1: They do. It's like the, I mean, it's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back because they sort of they take it on. They're like, it's fine. It's good. Right. And there's a kind of not really tending to what's going on. And then one thing happens and then there's the, it could be an explosion. It could be a, you know, a, a reactivity that doesn't match the event that happened for sure. And that stuff builds up for them. And the other thing she said is I think one of the, her first words was she said, I will tend to shut down. That's the other kind of aspect of nine is this numbing out. So when it gets overwhelming or when conflict happens, particularly internal conflict, but also external conflict, is like, I'm just going to shut down, unplug, numb out, because it's just overwhelming to me. And that would be also a stress response for nine. Mm. So, you know, okay. the, the work is really to wake up to self. And, and I hear her saying some of that. Um, and also part of waking up to self, then the next step is then saying that out loud to those around us. You know around the nine to sort of say here's who I am and what does matter to me. And that's when those of us in relationship with nines are like, wait, 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 who are you? And you're asking for things and that's upsetting you? What I don't understand. This is not the deal we
6: we signed up for.
0: <laughs> you shouldn't need anything. What is what's up? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I had read somewhere that the nine is thought to be by some teachers. And I realize there's so many different aspects of so many different layers to this, that it's like the quintessential personality type and that it takes on the best qualities of every other type. Would you explain more about if you've read that or?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, so I'd answer that question in a couple of ways. One is um, some people say the nine is sort of, you know, it's at the top of the Enneagram symbol and so in a way, and nines will often say this, they hear themselves in all of the other eight types. And so in a way, some people will say it's sort of a um, contains all the other types or you know, this sort of way of saying that. Um, so I think that um, there's a way in which the nine is a reflection of a lot of the different types. And nine is also Its core issue, which is the core issue for all of us, but nine in a particular way, is being asleep. I mean, that's what the Enneagram is all about, is bringing awareness to the ways that we are asleep to ourselves. And the nines embody it more, uh, I don't know if more is the right word, but in a sort of pure form. Uh, that that all the other types can see. So that's h- part of how I answered that question, Libby. I'm not sure if I answered your question exactly, but that's what
0: that's uh, yes. I that's 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 it. Really interesting. I the interesting th- and also about being asleep. Uh, th- there's a night in my life, and I heard at some point her say that she was apolitical. It's hard to imagine being apolitical. I think if there's a type that could be, I guess it would be the nine to be just non-confrontational and just it's, what is it that I feel? Let's gauge what everybody else thinks. Is that, is that something that you've heard?
1: Yeah, I, I that doesn't surprise me. I haven't. I don't have the the nines in my life are not apolitical, but that
2: okay.
1: that says more about who I hang out with probably. But but, but I mean, I'm married to a nines so who's very not apolitical. But um, so, but I think what it makes sense in that, and here's where I can have some compassion for that, is the the reason the nine avoids conflict, and and the reason why someone might say I'm apolitical is that if I share my political views. And they're different from yours, then that has the potential of irreparably rupturing the relationship. And for those of us who aren't nines, that doesn't make a lot of sense because we're like, well, conflict happens and you disagree and you have a relationship and you work it out or whatever. But for nines, there is this almost existential thing that if I say what matters to me and it's different from what you value, that will create conflict and then you will be stripped out of my life forever. And that's wow. that's the that's what's at stake and why often nines will avoid conflict. So I can I have some compassion for that apolitical
0: stance. I'd never thought of it like that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This is our last type. Here's our one. When I when I get stressed, whether it was
9: as a part of the COVID situation or just in general, I think my very first feeling is extreme anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and I like the sense of responsibility for handling something that, um, I get, I feel like everyone is relying on me to handle. Um, and then I sort of get resentful about that, even if in reality, not everyone is expecting me to single-handedly manage the situation. Um, so yeah, overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious, and and then ultimately when I get really overwhelmed to the point where I feel like I, I can't deliver on what I need to do, whether it's as a mom or as a friend or as a parent or as a spouse, um, then I just tend to withdraw. Sort of like if I can't do this the way I want to do it, then I'm just not I'm just not gonna do it. And while at the same time fighting that I need, I know that I need to. Um, so then there's guilt that comes with that and it's not fun. What does your, your family and your spouse, who do they see? They see someone who is demanding and probably not very um, nice about the way I communicate with them. Um, I think that they tend to see someone who the outside world doesn't see very much because in general I tend to avoid conflict. I don't enjoy confronting people in, you know, in the workplace, um, in social settings and any of that, I'm not going to pick my battle, you know, pick a battle with anyone. Um, but at home I can be very, very, um, almost aggressive with my opinions and, um, I, you know, can get really angry and have outbursts that I think would probably surprise people who, um, only know me outside the four walls of this home.
1: (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Um, I so appreciate her being able to recognize and name the anger. Um, a lot of times ones, well, and she used this word too, which is a classic one word is resentful, but a lot of times ones, because they're driven right by this idea of like, I'm supposed to be good. And so good people don't get angry. Good people don't do this, that, or the other. So being able to actually acknowledge anger, even though I heard her say, you know, it happens in the home, but you would never see it outside the home, but still being able to recognize that I think is an important part of the growth. Um, and I, you know, she named extreme anxiety, being overwhelmed. And there's this like, um, she called it like an an increased sense of responsibility. Like I have to carry all this and everybody's relying on me is her language. And that's where the resentfulness comes up. And I hear this a lot in ones is, um, you know, that like, oh, it's all down to me. Like I am the responsible one. I'm going to make sure it happens. I'm going to got the list of to-dos or whatever. And during an anxious time or a stressful time, that tendency toward control going to just grow and others are going to experience that as rigid, as controlling, as maybe angry. And then internally, what she's feeling is that resentfulness, like, why do I have to be the one to carry all this? Why aren't other people stepping up to the plate, et cetera? So uh, it makes a lot of sense to me.
0: She said, and part of our conversation, that initially when the pandemic started there, she really had this release of stress because they had gotten, she'd gotten herself into such a busy time with four kids and a husband that travels all the time that she was like relieved. I mean, not that the world was turned upside down and people were dying across the globe, but for herself, she was really relieved for about a month. And I thought Listening to that and reflecting on that, like, wow, that, you know, we, and this I think is true for a lot of people, they've got themselves into this busyness and then ones are holding themselves to this incredible standard that they were relieved when a pandemic happens and you're told to have, you have to stay in your home. I mean, that's pretty incredible that you're
1: relieved. It is. It reminds me of, um, it's like, and, and thank you for sharing that story, Libby. It reminds me of like when a snow day happens in the sense of like, I have permission to not hold it all together. Like I don't have to do it all because I can't, and so I actually can relax. So I, I totally get that. I totally get that, and that tells you like the, the compulsion. And again, not a judgmental statement. We all have compulsions, but like of like doing and feeling a sense of responsibility. And so, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful for her to have more than just this that one month but other other times built in her life where she can just relax and not feel have to feel that overwhelming sense of responsibility
0: i mean i want that for all of us like how can we you know there was a lot of joy found in those first couple of months and like how how could we do it without having it be um you know such an extreme crisis and and take things with us and yeah that was helpful for me to hear her reflect on that because i i I heard myself there too Mm -hmm. i love i loved a lot of it i love a snow day personally i love when things get canceled
1: yep yep yeah i i do too and i i the question that comes up as you said that libby is like what what can we give ourselves permission to cancel in other words, this is an externalized forced, like it's forced by the pandemic, right? But we actually do have the ability to choose to simplify things, to do less. And we it's very, very countercultural. And it's very hard to do. But can we give ourselves permission to do that?
0: I um, heard this interesting quote about like all the things going on right now and we're Expecting ourselves to be functioning at full capacity when there's disappointment, anger, grief, sadness, exhaust, exhaustion, fear, and anxiety. Yep. And, you think, and yet we are still expecting ourselves to be just, you know, 100%. That's right. And just That's- we have to hear it, tell it tell ourselves every day. I think saying no is such a big part of this for every. Every one of the types. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And to, I mean, you, you named that really beautifully, Libby. It's just, this is a really, really difficult time. And it's, it's, I don't want to overstate this, but it's, um, well, I'll say it this way. It is deeply unkind to ourselves when we expect ourselves and others to quote unquote perform at the same level when all of this is going on. It's just, it's not a kind and compassionate response. And so my longing is, can we can we look more lovingly at ourselves? Can we ask myself, well, how can I be kind to myself today? How can I be kind to the person and these people I'm interacting with in my life today and reduce these expectations of more, more, more?
0: I read an interesting article. This was in the Times a few days ago, and it was about there's an argument about the scientific basis of this. I'm not going to get into that, but basically what, what this study was, was all the verbs and adjectives used in Twitter and social media have been analyzed over the last, you know, 15 years or however long we've been doing all this mess. And they found that May 31st was the saddest day in the last 13 years. Hmm. And that, the month following like following um, George Floyd's death that June was the saddest consecutive like month of 30 some days in a row that you know has ever has ever been seen and that compared it to various national crises and and it just blew it away that there was like there's no way that everybody is that like low and there's this you know this dysthymic there's this low mood state there's you know Um, I see an, an a lot of people and I, I think just naming it and recognizing it helps. It's gotta help
1: for sure. Um,
0: it certainly helps me. Um,
1: no, absolutely. And, and I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think some permission giving, right. I mean, you know, this is perhaps more, um, well, I'll say it and you can decide if you want to keep it in the podcast. But but I think, I think one of the challenges in all this for me, it raises for me, is being in the kind of capitalist system in which we find ourselves, in which the greatest value is productivity and sort of financial bottom line, then we don't have permission to, like, it's not okay to slow down. And sometimes in life... You know, I, I kind of want us to say, you know what, we're going to take this year off and we're going to make sure everybody has health care and everybody has food and everybody has a place to live. And we're just going to do some healing, you know,
0: what a comforting thought to think that maybe we take a year off and move away from productivity and output and lean into caring for each other and ourselves. I love that message. Um on a on a different point, there's one thing I, I have a hard time handling right now, and 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 it is the the loss of our reliance in science. Um you know it was science that that built the Taj Mahal. It was science that has eradicated smallpox and polio and all these what are now preventable childhood diseases. And I feel like every time I open up the media uh, you know I have to in my mind I'm defending science and the integrity of it yeah. and you mentioned climate change earlier that's well, you know one more thing
1: it, it reminds me Libby as you say that it's just it, the thing that I've been really in touch with in my own self per, both because of the culture in which we live up right now and also my own personal experiences is just feeling a lot of loss and grief and like when you name like You know about science. It's like it's like oh, that's one more kind of loss. You know, it's like there's we've experienced so much loss, and and some space to just grieve it and just feel it and be sad. You know, that feels feels important.
0: The research on trauma says that the research on disaster and trauma focuses primarily um, on what's helpful for people when they're recovering. So, like when the crisis is mm. over, and we're unfortunately we're still in the in the midst of it, and we're kind of grieving these multiple losses, and it's not over. To go back to your letting ourselves slow down. Asking less of ourselves, being kind to ourselves and others, I think is perhaps the best thing to come out of this podcast for sure. Mm, (laughs) So, thank you for that. Thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome.
0: Well, thank you so much for this. This is just wonderful. And we can't wait to have you back in person at our group. That's going to be on the calendar when all this mess is over for sure. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us so much. And I will see you soon, I hope. Yeah,
1: thanks, Libby. I, I want you to hear how much I appreciate um, the work that you do to support so many people. And I want you to hear the appreciation of that. And and this podcast is part of that, what you do uh, in terms of having folks at your home, that's part of that. So, just hear my appreciation, and also, um, it's okay to like take care of yourself too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Message for all the twos out there. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, everyone. And hope you found many different things that are are useful here. I want you to stop all the shooting. Be kind to yourself, be honest with yourself, recognize you should not be functioning at full capacity right now. As always, thanks to Russell Kelly for sound and music production and see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody.